This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 12, First Round Strategies, The Yasaral Tribes. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. We're going to jump right in. We want to just completely jump in. We played a game today. Before we get into the episode today, which we'll be talking about the Yasaral tribes, but before we do that, I've got some things to say. Yeah. Uh, we played a game today. Uh, I played as the Winu Hunter. I played as the Arborek. Uh, we also had a Mentak. We had a Yasaral, and we had a... Jolnar. Jolnar. Uh, the Jolnar was a brand new player. That's the second game we've played, actually, where we gave the brand new player Jolnar. Ooh, that's a good point. And they didn't really do... I think we're getting a weird read on Jolnar. Well, yeah, we, we, we can't say anything about Jolnar, yeah, that's for we sure. Won't. We won't. Uh, we'll say real quickly about the Mentak, because uh, I've played two games with the Mentak now, neither of which I played as them. The meta definitely still works against them in the same way that it did in TI3 in that you don't necessarily actually get to steal money from people all the time because most of the time people realize you're going to steal money from them and decide not to take as many trade goods instead. Mm -hmm. But in a way, that is also effective. So the men tax still sort of exists, um, but more as a preventative measure than as a thing that makes you a lot of money as a Mentech player. There was very little trading in general happening at the table as compared to, like, out of some of the other games we've played at this point. The other game that I played with Mentech, there was more trading, and they were making more money, um, so it wasn't as big, you know, it wasn't as big of a deal. Um, And the other interesting thing that I kind of noted about the Mentech was the player in the first game, uh, you start with a yellow and a red, which means you start with the ability to get Deep Space Cannon, which means Mentech is kind of a viable... PDS race, even though like you're also wanting to focus on your cruisers, but it's kind of interesting because it means you can play fast and loose with your cruisers because you're going to be setting up your PDS network at home, and that's kind of how you protect your home slice mm-hmm. while your cruisers get out and put pressure on people to pay you money. Yeah, what? So it's you start with yellow red, and then you can grab that green and get cruiser two, and then you've yeah. got cruiser two and deep space cannons. I don't know. Did uh did our player today? Our player today didn't really do that though. I was on the other. They side didn't of the do that. Table. No, they they no. didn't do much in the tech realm. I will say our mentech player in the first game that I saw was like very very close to winning and only didn't win because the table saw it in enough time to mm-hmm. completely shut them down. Right. So it was one of those types of situations where it's like they. By all terms, had it, mm-hmm. but then were stopped. And they successfully shut this person down. Yeah. Which is not the story not of today's what game. today. <laughs> so let's get one thing out of the way. I played as the Winu. Uh, I was feeling pretty good going into it. I think in the past, I've always... This is the stance I've always taken. Yes, the Winu only have really one viable strategy, but I've always said but that strategy might still be pretty good. Today I feel different about it because I was shut down pretty hard with almost no effort. Now, the weird thing about today is I was shut down because one person played an action card, a single action card that really messed up about two rounds worth of stuff that I needed to have at my disposal. Um, Now, so the chances of someone having that action card that early are are slim in a lot of games, so it's kind of like a crazy thing. 
But when you look at the action card deck and the political card deck and all the things, there are lots of other things that target Mecha Talrex as well. So it's not like this is the only action card. This is definitely probably the most devastating action card that could have been played against mm-hmm. Mecha Talrex. I, I lost... I took my Katarx, put my space dock there, and the next player immediately played an action card that destroyed that space dock. And it turned out to be kind of difficult for me to get that space dock back because of my positioning in speaker order. Uh, I, I was never really able to get construction, and things just kind of net kept not panning out for me. I will say my playstyle does isn't especially conducive to Winu's playstyle. I tend to play glass cannon very fast and loose. I go for every objective I can every round. And I think for some of these races, I need to get better at knowing when to just sit and turtle and get a good fleet so that you can do more later. Mm -hmm. That is a skill that I am not very good at. Yeah, and I think it was just especially exacerbated by the fact that I was your neighbor as the Arborek. Yes. Because the Arborek, literally, they have such a slow start Mm -hmm. that there's no way to sit down. You'd have to be an idiot, I think, to sit down and be like, all right, well, it's time to be fast and loose, like with the Arborek. Yeah, because you you sit down and you're like, well, this is going to be a slow start. You have Um, one carrier, two ground forces? Yeah, you have one, one carrier, four ground forces. Four, okay. Um, which is, which that's good, but, um, you're gonna, I mean, I pretty much instantly had to buy two carriers. I bought two carriers my first round, which was good. I, I don't even remember exactly how I pulled that off. Uh, we were playing a five player game. You took trade. Yeah. You got a lot of money. exactly what I did. So I, yeah, I started with the two trade goods. Uh, then yeah, that, oh yeah. And then played trade and that's all I needed. Uh, and then used the secondary of warfare to build two carriers uh, which I was then able to use to expand uh, pretty effectively. But um, I would say the Arborek, man, what, uh, once you get them going... Here's uh, here's what I will say as an okay. observer and someone who was very heavily screwed over by it. So Hunter won with a commanding lead by mm-hmm. the end of the game. And part of that is um, the player dynamic of Hunter and I, which is that Hunter and I point fingers constantly throughout the game hunter always points early game because i'm glass cannon so i take an early lead and hunter always gets to point his fingers and go uh guys you need to deal with matt he's a problem and then i point fingers at hunter saying hey he's playing this snowball race everyone needs to pay attention to him and worry about it and uh in this game no one heeded my call because i took that early lead and um yeah, the Arborek was not dealt with early, which means they snowballed pretty hard. And by the end game, no one was in any position to stop your plans at all. The thing is, though, I'm not really sure what could have been done early. They they have they make so many ground forces that so many infantry that I'm not sure. Like, and I didn't even do it right. What I'm saying is that I actually played the Arborek poorly today. Mm-hmm. I forgot over and over to place my free ground force mm-hmm. uh, during the status phase. I many times forgot to use Sarween tools to build my free ground force. Right. If I had remembered to do... Which, also, I, I want to pick a nit. Um, I don't want to get too deep into the Arborette because I'm really excited to cover them uh, in a, a first-round strategy guide in the future. Right. But one thing I will say is the interaction between Sarween tools and the uh, like just building all the time, it feels fishy. Like, it doesn't feel right like it doesn't feel like it's it's the way things are supposed to work the fact that sarween for arborek means an entire basically an entirely different ability 
the fact that I can get one ground force just for moving or a destroyer, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, I could use that one. to buy, but the thing Any... is, I always used it for ground forces, and the sure. reason I did that is just to keep my production up yeah. and up. And it got to the point where my production was so insane that it just did, I, I, didn't matter. I, I was yeah. fine, yeah. and I was forgetting about ground forces, and it didn't matter. But if right. I had remembered them, I'm not really sure. Like there was somebody at the table that could have easily removed me unless they had like really called the shot early and been like, I'm I'm going to do this. That's what I'm you. saying is you I think you have to treat Arborek the same way you treat Hakan. Hakan, yeah. we have this big thing of saying no one offer Hakan an even trade on trade goods because mm-hmm. otherwise it will be ridiculous. And Arborek, I think it's the same thing of saying you need to make their pie slice weak uh weaker. Like the the pe- their neighbors have an incentive to hold them at bay. A yeah, I think bit. you need to box them in. Yeah, because and the whole table has to agree on that. Right, right. But see, that's why I think you you were the strategy you were applying was a bad neighbor to the Abs- arbor. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you left your pie slice open Winu, for me to keep. Sar would have the same problem. Yeah, oh, Sar would be a horrible neighbor to the arbor. Mm-hmm. I think you know, I don't know. I it's hard for me to even think of what could have made the difference because there just was a point where. It, I, I mean, I ended up having I could have got scored twelve points, um, by the end of the game. Yeah. And what was this? What was second place? Like six. Yeah, like it was very. Once things really got going for me, I kind of even started shutting my brain off a little bit yeah. because it just felt like I don't really think they're going to be able to get my ground forces off of certain no. planets. Like my no home way. system. No even. one else had anywhere close to as many ground forces, so there was just nothing anybody could do. Yeah. Every invasion, every time anyone tried to attack Hunter, by the time it got to invasion combat, it was like, ah, oh, crap, now it's 4v2. Right. Or, you know, whatever, something just terrible. And, yeah. Just, I also, I, I there was definitely like a fair amount of luck. I'm not trying to say yeah, that is same thing the case. as my SAR victory, where it's like you kept having good objectives for I, you. I had That's objectives a big part of the that game. flowed seamlessly yes. into each other. Like it was yeah. like I did one thing, and then the the object, the next objective would be like, all right, now do that same thing you just did, but a bit more. Yeah. Like that's yeah. all. Keep going. We believe yeah. in you. Yeah, we're like, the objective. Well, I, I had the one where I blockaded your home system, yeah. which was a big moment because he had lost the other space dock at Mechatol. Yeah. So, like, and that timed out perfectly for me. You lost that space dock, and then I got to blockade you, and I was like, oh wow. And then literally the next objective was like invade. Like yeah. it was just like, well, you're already there, buddy. Yeah. Just go just one step going. further. You you needed someone to really harangue me, and, and no one could. No one was the the person. Your other neighbor was our brand new Jolnar, right? Who who you know, brand new players don't the fully thing is understand I, aggression yet. So. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, he he was doing okay, and he had a lot of dreadnoughts, which could have been an effective strategy with mm-hmm. bombardment. The only thing was, I'll say what he did do right. He went PDS heavy, and you you immediately no responded there. Yeah. yeah, you you and you said it by like round two. You were just like, I can't go over into yeah. Jolnar space. Like right. that's you. You're great. You have a PDS if, network. And I yeah, I would say in that way that is the counter. Um, is that if like I think extra, if yeah. it had been Jolnar. Arborek, and then on the other side of me, Extra. Yeah. I don't know where I would have gone. Exactly. What I would have done. That's what I needed to do as a player is I didn't need to rush. Here's the thing about Winu that I'm I'm starting to feel. There's just not a huge importance on rushing for Mechatol Rex. Mm-hmm. It's one point to be the first person to take Mechatol. In every game I've played, 
any race I've played, I've been the first one to take Mechatol. Again, because I'm like this, I have to take every point available to me. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, I end up close to Mechatol. And two games, I've spent almost all my planets just to take Mechatol. Because I was like, hey, that's the point I can get this round. Like, that's that's fine with me. Um, So, to that extent, I haven't seen anybody else go for Mechatol. So, like, you could take Mechatol on third round with Linu and just... I think it is more important to get your pie slice working because I stretched myself too thin pushing mm-hmm. out to Mechatol too early. I thought that wouldn't be a problem because I was going to have all these other things come into play, but then that one action card got played and it complete like I was one interruption away from losing it all mm-hmm. and I lost it all. So to that end, Winu it's just not worth the risk. Mm-hmm. And I would say with Arborek, um, my feeling is. Uh, if you're playing them, try and strike into someone's pie slice. They will really struggle. Like, I mean, I lost a lot of space battles. I lost yeah, almost every single true. space battle I had. But no one and it just didn't matter. They yeah. couldn't take the planet back. So, yeah, I mean, strike into someone's pie slice. Get dug in there. Lose the fleet. Who cares? You can produce units all over. Yeah. You produce a new fleet on the other side of you're the galaxy. You're taking enough planets that you're going to have the money to deal with it. Right. And which if means... anything, that's a reason for uh, Arbrek to just not even invest in, like, big, expensive capital ships. Have yeah. an army that is entirely cruisers, carriers, and destroyers, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, like, the, yeah, buying the cheap units. I, I would end up buying the Dreadnought just because I knew I was about to be attacked. Right. So I would buy it just for, just, mostly just to take two hits. Yeah, Like, it true. wasn't even so much about, like, oh, I'm going to use this Dreadnought to, like, bust some stuff up. Yeah. It was more like, I don't have a carrier <laughs> there, so right. I can't build the fighter screen. So let's just build the Dreadnought. Or it would just be like, a Dreadnought is only worth one production. I had a lot of money, so I didn't really care about spending money on stuff like that. And the fact that Dreadnought is worth two hits and only takes one production slot, a lot of times that's why I would build capital ships. But honestly, I completely agree with you. And I also felt no need at any point to buy any unit upgrades, and I only had four tech. Yeah, yeah. So... We should call it there. Uh, that 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 was already fifteen minutes of talking about that game. It was mm-hmm. a it was a crazy game. I, I think it was a a bad game. Obviously, I, I had a terrible terrible mm-hmm. run at it. It was a bad window game for me. But uh, let's jump into the real topic of today, uh, which is our starting round strategy for the Isaral Tribes, which is a race that you played and we've seen in action a couple other times. And I feel like is another one that's pretty easy to get a good grasp on um, yeah uh, they're making a lot of sense to me i I actually don't have that many questions about the yasarl it's it's a pretty i feel like it's a pretty straightforward race um let's talk let's talk theme though first gotta go theme yeah i love it um they're what they're little space goblins they're little mud um, they're little mud boys little mud boys cute little schmeagles with their red eyes um the thing about the yasarl is they went through big changes and seeing how the theme carries through is what's interesting to me honestly Mm -hmm. the idea of the yasaral tribes is that they are um a planet they are covert they're a spy network Mm -hmm. like on the even on the race sheet it says population unknown Mm -hmm. their 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 government is the guild of spies their whole thing is that you're just not supposed to know what Isaral is up to. Mm-hmm. And the way that worked in TI3 is they're always skipping turns. Every other turn they should be skipping. It was a pretty common strategy to, even if you had other things you could do, skip every single chance Just you anyways, can. Yeah. Unless there was something that was a specific timing that had to happen, mm-hmm. you should skip every other turn because it lets you act three or four times after everyone else has passed and mm-hmm. you always get to do unexpected stuff. And for game-winning scenarios, that was 
I mean, that was it. You could right. just completely win games because you're going to take all these points. The way Isaral Tribes works now is much more action card focused, um, but because the action card deck is smaller, it's great. That's good. Yeah. It's still really, really great. There are not a bunch of just dumb action cards. The player who played as Isaral Tribes today, he kept the cards. He kept discarding. Every time he would discard a card, I would look at it and go. But that is a very, very good card. Mm-hmm. So what did you keep? Right. And like, yeah, he had this deck of just absolute knockout hits. Right. I mean, it was insane. Super pruned. Um, let's talk about let's 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 throw those racial abilities out there just so we, just so we're all on the same page. So what is the? They still have the stall, but it works different. They have an ability called stall tactics as an action. Discard one action card from your hand. This is one of those abilities similar to Arborek where mm-hmm. they don't the the race sheets are actually doing a bad job nowadays of explaining what the purpose of these things are, and you really have to understand what they did in TI3 to understand what's yeah. good in TI4. But the idea here is just if you need to stall, you can just burn an action card. Um, but the way that ends up working out is most of the time you have action cards that are play as an action also. And that's your stall. And that's your stall. Yeah. So you might as well do that. I, I didn't do it one time in my game, and I did not notice uh, our player, did our not player do day it. do nope. it at all. Yeah. So, so not haven't seen a single stall yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, their second ability, Scheming. When you draw one or more action cards, draw one additional action card, then choose and discard one action card from your hand. This is the pruning Hunter and I always talk about. This mm-hmm. is... They just end up with this really killer hand of action cards. Right. And this ability, more than anything else, is the like mainstay of their abilities. And to add to that, they have Crafty. You can have any number of action cards in your hand. Game effects cannot prevent you from using this ability. So they can have infinite number of action cards. Right. So there's just always something at their disposal. And the, the sneakiness is is now solely in action cards but because action cards are effective this strategy still works very very well Mm -hmm. um i would say in regards to our tier list i would put isaral tribes as a uh, more surefire like they have a strategy that works and Mm -hmm. i and i get it and you know our 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 tier list isn't necessarily ranked as actual tiers that are better or worse than each other but i would bump isaral up into a more they are they are not as situational as I thought. They're, no, definitely not. And I, I would assume any game that Isarl is uh, in that they're basically gonna have like a chance, a yeah. fighting chance, yeah. and it's because of the the smaller action card deck. Like mm-hmm. that is the main main reason that we're gonna emphasize over yeah. and over. When expansions come out, if they add a lot of action cards, which maybe they won't. I mean, it's it's hard to say what Fantasy Flight's gonna want to do. But if they add, you know, if they double the size of the action card deck, mm-hmm. depending on what those action cards are, that's going to affect Isaral Tribes. And I don't think you're going to see that kind of effect on any other sort of race that just like things added in an expansion, is that going to hurt or help a race? But Isaral Tribes are one of the ones where they could be drastically affected based on what gets added into the game later. I think this is a good time to cover their racial tech and talk about that, mostly mm-hmm. because it... It falls synergizes exactly with the action yeah. cards. So the Isaral racial tech is transparent steel plating. It's a one requirement green tech, which they start with. So you could you could research this in the first round. During your turn of the action phase, players that have passed cannot play action cards. Our player got this tech this game because he had a secret objective that required him to get to two faction it. techs. He did not use this tech a single time. Nope. I still stand by this tech is fairly useless. Now, 
The one advantage it does have is it's an alternative to getting Dax of Animators. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily say it's better than Dax of Animators, but for the Isarl, it's yeah. a toss-up. I, I see plenty of reasons to like, eh, I'll go ahead and get that one, because when push comes to shove, that might be what helps you in the end of the game. Yeah, I think it just depends on what kind of game you're having. Um, on the We'll get to this a little more um, in later on in the episode, but... Uh, as far as unit composition, as far as unit upgrades go, Isarl are pretty open. They start with only one green tech, and it is uh, Neural Motivator, which is kind of the obvious one. They get to draw one extra um, action card every turn. And let's talk about... Which means they get, just to, just to interrupt that, that means from the start of the game, during each status phase, they're drawing three keeping two mm-hmm. which is huge and make sure also uh, this is a little uh, I, I wish we had mentioned this earlier but with the drawing and picking uh you do not have to discard a card that you picked like right when you draw three cards in the status phase you can discard one junk of one earlier. one of the junk cards that you kept from earlier so if you draw three uh just amazing cards Throw away one of the other things. Yeah. Like keep yeah. it doesn't specify that you have to discard one of the cards that you just drew. Yeah, and the other racial tech, which is a three requirement green tech, but you're already pretty invested in going deep into green. So it's I, this one to me. If is, you want, I didn't though. When, yeah, when I played them, I did not go super green. But I do think this is a good tech. Yeah, uh, Mage on implants as an action. Exhaust this card to look at another player's hand of action cards. Choose one of those cards and add it to your hand. Uh, I mean, it's it's doing two effects. It's taking good cards out of other people's hands, and it's putting them into yours, making your hand even better. I mean, that it's I, also a great stall. Really, yeah, good stall. yeah, that's very true. Our player was using it often. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously well, once per round, but yeah. but what I mean is like, I always felt like his timing was very good. Like he was always using it when it was like, oh, okay, he he needs to wait for other stuff to happen, and I'll, this is a great way to do that. I'll say this about it, though. Um, it did start to feel like, when once people started spending, so to me, it feels like a later, uh, a late game tech, in some ways. Yeah. Um, but You don't need it early, because nobody has action cards anyways. Right, but the thing is, towards the end of the game, people start spending their action cards, too. Um, and I realize a lot of people point out that this uh, is more about seeing the other player's hands That's than true. it is necessarily about pruning your already amazing action card hand. Um, and that in that way, it is good. I just found in the particular game we played, it felt like no one really had a very good hand. So anytime no. he was looking and taking, it was just kind of like, well, I mean, like it would be, we would talk about who had action cards and I would have like three, you would have two because yeah. like, we were spending them, right. you know? Right. Um, and then he would have like eight or something right. like that, something crazy. Yeah. But suffice it to say, if you're going to go that deep into green, it's definitely better than X- X89 Bacterial Weapon yes. for you yes. as a as SRL player. Um, let's talk about a couple other starting things. Uh, their planets are Retellion and Shalik. It's a 2-3 and a 1-2, so that's 3-5. Three, 3 resources, 5 influence. That's uh, what one better than Xcha. It's that's a good mm-hmm. that's a good starting home system. It's it's also two planets, so I would encourage people to throw down another space dock in there and have like a pretty solid uh, yeah. production base. Yeah, you're also starting with we already said neural motivator. You get to draw extra action cards, uh, and they have one of the best fleet starting fleets in the game for sure. Uh, two carriers, which is. To us crucial five in infantry which is that fills both of our requirements it's almost like more than yeah it's more than you Four need infantry would be great yeah even but. one cruiser two fighters and a pds i mean 
I couldn't put anything else on my list of things I would rather yeah. start with. That like that's my ideal starting. Fleet. It's so great. Yeah. It's so good. Um, and so yeah, they're gonna get off to a good start, kind of no matter what action card they get. Uh, let's let's talk about. Oh, let's okay. throw out to what their flagship is, just so we have the final overview. The Asia Isarila is <laughs> this ship can move through systems that contain other players' ships. What I didn't realize before today uh, but seeing him he, he got this pretty early mm-hmm. um it rolls two on a five it's, it's good. two it's dreadnoughts a, it's a good hit and it has it's the only flagship with a movement of two which mm-hmm. we've talked about before but we've had issues before of like well it's going to be the only ship that moves through other people's systems but like rolling two on a five with three capacity like that's enough to do some work right you're gonna you're gonna get objectives using this flagship alone and i would say that in in my game when i played as them it was like there was a very clutch moment where I needed it, and it yeah. was helpful to me. I didn't end up winning that game, but it was yeah. like, wow, like this really enabled me to do something. What I love about this flagship is a lot of flagships, it's like, okay, it has this wacky ability, and that's how you use it. But as a ship, bleh, whatever. Right. But this one is like, no, this is a great addition to your fleets or to your overall just board presence. You know, this one isn't necessarily a wacky ability because what it, it really just has light wave deflector. Like once you mm. get light wave deflector, this ship doesn't even have an ability anymore right. except for the fact that it's two dreadnoughts. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's I think it's great because it is just a good ship. It's a good deal. It's yeah. a very good deal. I mean, you're you're not saving any money. It is worth the same as two dreadnoughts, uh, but it's one unit. Yeah. Um let's talk first round strategy cards let's talk about which which ones are good which ones are yeah. bad in my mind is plays as a pretty just like standard race just mm-hmm. take the strategy cards that are best for the board i mean like mm-hmm. warfare is going to be a great pick for you with your two carriers mm-hmm. you take a system with two infantry you pull it off, you take another system with two more three, that's four planets. Your second carrier goes and takes another... I mean, you could take six planets sure. round one, and sometimes that's going to be an objective as well. Right. Um, alternatively, you know, our player, I think, took politics round one. That's a fine pick because it's going to jumpstart your action card. I think that's pretty good. It's good. I mean, it's going to jumpstart your action card thing. I don't think it's necessary because you're going to get plenty of action cards anyways, but it's not a bad idea. If you're if you're a late, if you're if the speaker is to your left and you're the last pick, politics well is a done, great yeah. pick. I mean, I I I would say that it is it, it is actually the strategy card to talk about with Isarl. It's just not like the emphasis isn't huge because yeah. it does feel like you could go in a lot of different directions with Isarl, but like you're gonna get the most out of that strategy card in like just getting more and more action cards especially getting it early so that yeah. you get like a good start on that right um because who knows what you'll get you yeah. know like and a lot there are a lot of really situational um action cards but like getting that lead early i think is important yeah um and i can't really think of an action card that is really worth talking about more i would say strategy card Strategy card, yeah, sorry. Um, then, then politics. I, I want to throw out one other idea for them. Yeah. And this is, this is a weird one because um, almost every game we've played so far, diplomacy never gets picked. But these races that have these great starts, like the ability to just start mm-hmm. with ease, I think there is a little bit of incentive to take diplomacy because of that refresh ability. Because now this is obviously specific to what is in your system, mm-hmm. but... Um, if you're next to an Abyss Freya or a Barrett right. Alert of Four, 
Like, it is absolutely worth it to take those planets and refresh them round one so that by the time the build comes around, like, if you're not taking Warfare, you know, let's say you're not the first pick and first pick took Warfare, Diplomacy is a great pick because you're going to get the build out of it, and as long as you can get that Diplomacy off on those two big planets you just took, mm -hmm. that's huge. I mean, that's already jump-starting your fleet. I mean, at the very least, you could even, like, with with... With a Biz Freya and your home system, you could build your flagship round one. I don't think you should, but that's just mm -hmm. to say that's how much production value, like that's how much right. money you could be kicked off with. Right. So it's it's a lot, and it's it's worth it's not worth you know ignoring. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, trade and tech are viable. Imperial, um, probably not. But you know, there's there's always arguments for random objectives yeah, but in all, in almost no case are you going to take imperial there's no way you could get to um yeah and you're there's no way you could get to makatol and you're like one shy um influence of being able to take it even if you could yeah. get there and i don't think uh construction Maybe if you get a flank speed though i mean i don't yeah, know there's, sure there's... sure there's things i don't think construction is a big pick in my heart no either for them you don't you don't benefit from an early space dock no, and you're not really set up in any way to head specifically for PDS. Yeah. Um, that's the whole thing, though, is what what I really like about Isarl when it comes down to it. Since their advantage is in action cards, the versatility is it's pretty insane, almost to the point where I could see some players getting actually kind of lost. Um, because just starting with Neural Motivator, their tech path is sort of like... I don't know, man. Do whatever yeah, you want to do. Right. Like everything is kind of on the table. I, I would, I would throw out um, making a case for for cruisers just because of the nature of how you're going to be playing, which is kind of all over the place. Right. If you if you can, you know, you start with the green. So if you get your Sarween tools, which is always a good pick. Mm -hmm. Only other thing you need is you know a quick plasma scoring or a red planet to just get some really fast cruisers right and then you have cruisers that move on a three and, and have you, capacity right and have capacity and you're probably going to get uh flank speed at some point so you could do some pretty surprising stuff there but i mean like that's not essential moving on no. four is almost at a point where it's like uh, when do i need yeah to do when that? do you need to yeah. do that i'll say at the very least because you're gonna have all these action cards more than anything first off like let the action cards kind of guide some of that strategy that is you're, a very good piece you're of you're gonna want to use those strengths so there's gonna be some that you should hold on to for late game but like our player was you know playing all kinds of action cards but he would do a couple things to like set up to make sure that was useful you know if you get these ones where it's like ooh, you get a trade good for every cultural planet you have like mm -hmm. okay that's my new that's my whole new plan this round is right. to like do that like just let your action cards kind of show you the way because that's where all your strengths lie yeah i think i i think essentially that's why that's what makes maybe doing a strategy guide for isarl a little bit difficult because mm -hmm. like that that idea of letting the action guards kind of tell you what to do yeah. makes it like really impossible for us to tell you what to do right now right. except for like definitely look at your yeah. hand like our next bullet point is like what 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 units do you have and what do you need like what what kind of fleet are you building and honestly like, I couldn't tell you because it really just depends on the objective. Like, you mm -hmm. as a Yasaro player can take a decent amount of risks and just, like, what objectives are hitting the board? That's what I'm going right. for. You don't have the same... It's very different from X-Cha, where X-Cha was, you know, we described this kind of, like, sit, buckle in, and then take late game points. Yasaro can just start taking points. They can they can just start worrying about everything, and they have things at their disposal to, to kind of back them up. So just, like... Go for what's out there on the board. Mm -hmm. 
I my Isarl game I think was a little bit a little bit interesting. I went for like carrier two and I went down the blue route. Yeah. And the reason I started doing that is because I got um what is it called? Rise of the Messiah oh, okay. pretty early. I see. So I had a ground force on every single like yeah. uh, planet in my pie slice. And I decided to try and use that to my advantage. Right. So I wanted the capacity to pick up and move these ground forces around if I needed them to invade a like hard to invade planet. Um, and you might not get that card. And if you don't get that card early, I might like not recommend that you just be like, all right, well, I'm definitely going for like infantry two or carrier yeah. two. Like I will say blue tech is a great route for you to take. Yeah. Fleet logistics and light wave deflector are going to be your friend. Gravity, gravity every drive. single blue tech is good for you. Right. It, it makes sense for the way you're going to be playing, which is surprising maneuvers at the very least, like, position your units in ways where like they have multiple things at their disposal mm -hmm. i guess is kind of my thought well and here let me throw something else out though like let's say early game you get like two flank speeds in your hand i might be like you know what i'm gonna use these to get the mobility that i really right. need and start focusing on other things you yeah. know what i mean like sometimes it's not about completely leaning into one aspect right all the way it's about kind of plugging a hole that you don't have like maybe being like you know what i'm going pds yeah and i'm going to be isarl with some great pds and uh whenever i need to make an unexpected move i'm going to play flank speed yeah. oh my carrier actually can move too and i am there right. you know what i mean like yeah and and in this way um i feel like we can kind of start talking about what makes uh, Isarl a superpower. This is going to be a question we bring up in every single one of these. Like, what do mm -hmm. you, what are you trying to set yourself up in in the early rounds mm -hmm. to design yourself as a superpower later on? And your superpower is your versatility and your unpredictability. Mm -hmm. And so, like, just the fact that like you kind of have the option to take any tech route you want or any unit route that you want is that's your strength. And so. If you're if we're trying to kind of scale this discussion back again and like let's refocus on starting round, all you're doing is setting up your pie slice in a manner that leaves those options open. Mm -hmm. That's why I kind of don't necessarily advocate you know like holding in like go PDS heavy unless the objectives dictate like get PDS on the board or whatever. But like for the most part, I wouldn't think of Isarl as a race that digs in. I would think of Isarl as a race that jumps around and takes the necessary planets. I think it just depends on what you get in your yep. hand though. Yep. Um there you might you might find that you get a hand of action cards that like makes it feel like, okay, that's the kind of Isarl game I'm gonna have yeah, this round. Definitely. Which I'm gonna take everything we've been talking about right now to circle back to a point I really do think politics first round is not a bad play no. because the more action cards you have in your hand, especially early game, the more you can start to plan, okay, I play this one right. and then I'm going to play this one. That's this, what I'm saying. That's an important thing too is, is not throwing out those action cards kind of willy nilly. Right. Do have that plan in place of... Of, of the order of the action cards. I'm going to say something, too. Like, making... And this is kind of advice that goes for, really, any race, but definitely for Isarl. 
Um, make those action cards count. There was a player today that completely ruined your game by one playing action one action card, but it's not like he played it and then did something great for himself. No. Like, he, he really got, wrecked your but he, shot. But he got that action card because he played politics right yep. off the bat. Yep. I mean, yeah. But honestly, if I had been him, I would have maybe saved that action card and played it when I could take something from you, which yeah. is, as an Asaro player, is he, what you should yeah, be doing. Yeah, he did it as a throwaway action I think it was a little bit of a stall too, maybe to help him. I forget. Yeah, that might have. But been but more too. than anything, like yeah, he definitely could have timed it even better. But it definitely, I mean, it it completely kneecapped me. Yeah, um, but did it win him the game? No, no, definitely not. Um, let's talk about Ysarl and their abilities as a trading partner. Ysarl mm-hmm. uh, are great. Yeah, three. great for trade. You got mm-hmm. three commodities. That's the fair amount. That's mm-hmm. like the baseline. And uh, b- again, because we've talked about this kind of like you might, you have a lot of incentive to like potentially get kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. I think it's great to try to trade with people. Uh, we had a weird game today. We didn't trade hardly at all. But I think in a normal game, um, Isarl are going to be a big, a big trading partner. Especially if you think about this, in a game with a Hakan, Hakan can trade action cards. Asarl and Hakan might kind of develop a really beautiful relationship with each other where oh, Hakan can be funneling a lot of money to Yasarl if Yasarl keep getting them really choice action oh, the cards. Ad- the idea of selling your action cards, that's insane. Yeah. That's a whole nother layer. That's a really it. specific thing, yeah, but specific. I'll throw out though that like almost every game, like if you're doing any sort of drafting thing, like people pick Hakan all oh that's time. true it's so like it's pretty popular a, lo- a lot of race a lot of games you're gonna play with a con and so yeah any game that has yasarl and a con are together you're, you're gonna have a good opportunity for stuff to happen there like, are also eat. a lot of action cards that um like get you more trade goods right or, and even yeah. allow you to spend trade goods on other things right. as well yes 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 that and that's a big a big factor um what about the promissory note what is that let's let's throw that out there so uh their promissory note um, is called Spinet, and at the start of your turn, look at the Sorrel player's hand of action cards. Choose one of those cards and add it to your hand. Then return this card to the Sorrel player. Um, I would say don't give this out yeah, at the, all. In, it's the inverse of your very late game mm-hmm. racial tech, and um, yeah, no. this yeah, it's not really worth it to you. This is worth because uh, yeah, no, don't yeah, don't do that. Don't, I I would definitely. I mean, it's got to be a pretty dire situation for you to decide that this is worth giving out. Maybe if you've got a really crap hand for some reason, but... But that's just almost never going to be the case. And more importantly, like, you might have cards that are pretty good for you, but at any moment, someone else could look at a card you have and go, that's the exact card I need Mm -hmm. to make my strategy that I've been kind of keeping in the background... I need one card to make that work, and this happens to be it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you're going to ever give it out, it should be uh, it should be it should fetch a high price. Your like, action card advantage should be very very important to you because yes. honestly, without your action card, you advantage, don't have a lot. You really don't have a lot yeah. going on. You've got a great great starting units, and then it's just right. kind of whatever. It's so interesting because like we talk about the Winu as having this very like mm-hmm. one track thing. And, like, technically speaking, Asarl has the same problem. It's action cards or it's nothing. Yeah. But the difference is action cards themselves are incredibly versatile. Right. So that's where the strength stays versatile. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I, I don't think this is one of your bargaining chips. I think your bargaining chips in trade are 
the fact that you're everywhere, and the fact that, honestly, a lot of times a Isara player can stay under the radar pretty easily. Mm-hmm. They never look crazy powerful because what you're trying to usually do is gear up for like a one round score four points kind of situation right you want to keep sneaky you you have these action cards so you're keeping that close to your chest and then you're doing everything at once so that nobody could have seen it coming um and so you're a good trade partner because people look at your pie slice and go "Eh, i mean he just looks like a a even player he's he's in the middle of the pack he's you know at the same position as the rest of us so Mm -hmm. why why not trade with my good buddy isarl um, if that's the kind of game you're having now. Right. I Again, mean, this comes down to all of the let's different... Let's pull up all the action cards right, right yeah. now. Right, <laughs> Well, no, I'm serious. Because yeah. like, like, the thing is, what I'm trying to get to at this point is there are a lot of action cards that do synergize, uh, that do have like a certain kind of flavor to them. And it would be completely impossible to look at them and t- literally tell you all the different like ways this could happen to you, all the different permutations... But like, I just want—I just want you to have an idea of like what different types of games you could end up with. Well, yeah. obviously, there's all the riders, and you're going to have an insane amount of those. And so, I would say at any point of time, you might get a little boon towards any, basically any resource you can imagine if yeah. you play these riders correctly. My which exper- you probably won't. My <laughs> experience too, though, has been that riders have not been especially effective. No, I think riders are more often going to be your discarded. Card. yeah i would uh, yeah yeah i would agree with they that. can be really great but more often than not it's pretty easy for everyone to vote against whatever you mm-hmm. predict so there's lots of different opportunities for you to get basically uh research for free um tech tech stuff for free a lot of destroy things yeah based on certain opportunities mm-hmm. destroy a pds destroy a dreadnought destroy a cruiser destroy an enemy ship i mean there's all kinds of things where like you're taking these small gains constantly. You are a nuisance to everybody, but I don't know. There's something different about having an action card played against you than getting invaded. Right. Yasarl do not have to invade people, but they, like we said earlier, I mean, Yasarl completely messed up my whole game, mm-hmm. and all he had to do was play an action card against me. He didn't have to invest any of his money or units into stopping right. my whole deal so your thing is you get these action cards they're going to devastate people use it on who it's going to hurt the most every time without question whoever it's just going to really devastate that's a good play for you because the action card costs you nothing right but also like not even just to devastate a player but also to get something for you if you use reactor meltdown use it on a place that you're about to invade that like is something just have it synergize in some way. Right. Um, God, there are so many good ones. Ghost Ship, uh, Rise, of, Rise of a Messiah, we talked about that. Um, Insubordination. Our uh, player played Plague today. It was a great play. It was He was having a lot of um, scuffles with our Mentac player, and there was one moment where the Mentac had a bunch of infantry. Like, he had just built a bunch of infantry, mm-hmm. and the next turn, our Isara player was just like, okay, Plague, see how many of those survive. Right. And almost the entire group of ground forces were killed. So, yeah, I mean, it's just little There's just so like many that. different ways you could take this. Like, there there are car- like there are certain cards that if you got, I would be like, you need to go to Mechatol and grab Imperial ASAP. Yeah. Because the cards like Political Stability, uh, which allows you to keep your strategy card. I actually did use that tactic right. yeah. uh, in the game that we played Uh and it was kind of a uh, little bit too little too late but yeah there's just so many um and yeah let them let them be your guide yeah yeah i saw our player give up two maneuvering jets which is like 
I mean, I think Maneuvering Jets are a great card. He got rid of a flank speed at one point. People were using shields holding left and right. Shield mm-hmm. holding is definitely an always keep because that's just going to Oh, it's very, save very useful. Life. Yeah. Anyways, enough talking about just like specific action cards. That, yeah, that can be a little bit exhausting. To but talk the, about but the point is that's the whole thing is you have so many things at your disposal. Like use every single one of those advantages in the best way you can because that's the only place you're making your real advantages. Mm-hmm. And I would say there are a fair amount of those action cards that can influence what your early game map placement will yeah. be like. Yeah. Uh, things like, you know, th- there are cards that might influence you to be like, okay, I want to spread out very quickly yeah. so that my so that I can use Rise of a Messiah and reinforce my entire pie slice and have it be this giant right. pie slice, basically. Yeah. Um, that any Mechatol card is going to influence you into possibly playing for Mechatol. Right. I could totally see any Sorrow player being like, I'm I'm going all in on Mechatol. Right. Uh, Hunter, what should a Sorrow player expect to be doing with their command counters? Um, that's a that's a tough one to speak on. Uh, you have a pretty decent home system as far mm-hmm. as influence goes, so to that extent, I can say that you should be decent on command yeah, counters and, and the fact that you should be able to take a significant amount of planets early mm-hmm. reinforces that idea i don't think you should be that worried about command counters. no not especially not especially you're not like you're not like um one of those races that start with just one planet that doesn't even have enough influence for one single command right. counter itself right um you've got at least one in the bank just for being up, up there yeah um and there are also like a fair amount of um, action cards that could give you uh, more command counters as well. Yeah. Also, we've talked about the fact that you have this incentive to go down green tech. So if you like, if you really want to, you can get to hyper metabolism very, very fast. Oh, and for in sure. some games, I think you should just do that. Just like first or you know first chance you can get that hyper metabolism mm-hmm. and, and and have it done with. Again, let uh you know let the cards be your guide yep. and plug holes. Like if if. I don't know. It should you should be able to look at your hand and then see like okay, what is going to be the problem here? Yeah. Um, and yeah, hypermetabolism would be a really easy way to just be like, all right, let's not worry about this command counter right. thing this game. Right. Um, counters are really hard to talk about with Isarl. Can we do this first? Oh, or is there even anything to say? Oh, I, we already talked about map placement, and I just I was just, just basically like matter. let. Well, it's not that it doesn't matter. It's just like let whatever you have in that early yeah, game yeah. in your hand. Let that kind of. Decide. show you yeah you know okay because i mean i think in general you should expand a lot because you have a lot of you have the two carriers and five ground forces yeah. you should get a lot of early expansion but i don't know i can imagine situations where expanding too quickly isn't you're not gonna be able to back it up yeah basically uh, i think this is another race where you do want a more planet rich pie slice even if those are poor planets. I think this is mm-hmm. another race where you benefit more from having a lot of planets to take. Yeah. Because there's so many action cards that are going to benefit from, like, do this to a bunch of cultural planets, right. do this to a bunch of... And so you're going to get more benefit from that than you are from just having the planets themselves. Right. Lots of planets of varied types. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's probably the best placement we could say yeah. about it. So, yeah, like you were saying, counters. Yeah, what races, really... do they counter anybody? I wouldn't really say that they do, especially. Starting with one green tech, there isn't really an obvious, like, well, Isaril's always going to want to go for this unit upgrade. So they don't really have a unit that to call their own, per se. Um, So 
I mean, I think depending on the setup, depending on how things are going, the Sarl could counter all different types of definitely like, races. Yeah, d- definitely. I will say, based on what we kind of talked about with the X Child last week, I think Yasarl are good against races that dig in. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to probably get a lot of action cards that allow you to just like destroy a PDS, destroy yeah. some infantry yeah. on a planet. So you do those things before you then make your, you know flagship or light wave deflector jump over the scary hexes you know you're going to be able to do these maneuvers that are sneaky that the very defensive players couldn't quite account for mm-hmm. so i think if anything that's your avenue i i think a counter to isarl would be any race that can engage you over and over like mm-hmm. arborek actually might be sar could be um maybe not sar actually not because SAR. of the one death ball so maybe maybe yeah. delete that but uh Arborette could because of the amount of units that you could throw at Isarl. One thing I'm looking at as a possible, like, um, weak point is after a certain, uh, like, let's say you're being engaged on several fronts. Yeah. Uh, you're going to run out of action cards. That's just like a right. law. Right. So any race that is really hardy yeah. um, and can could attack you over and over is is going to be a real threat. And that really just depends on how well you've managed your action cards at that right. point. Right. Um, I think things that can... Yeah, it's the it's the race, you know, Hakan maybe, because Hakan can typically replenish fleets yeah, so quickly. Yeah, that's, a, that that's I think a bit would be a, a possible um, counter. Maybe Baroneal at Nev. That one I'm a little bit less inclined to say is definitely... A, I don't... Here's what it is. I don't think anyone is a hard counter no. to Asarl. Everything is a situational counter. Mm-hmm. And the same thing for Asarl going the other way. Yeah. There are some games where you're like, oh yeah, you're going to have that player's number. Mm-hmm. But in most cases, eh, it's kind of a toss-up. You're probably going to do well. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, Hunter, what are your... We've kind of covered a lot of this, but like, where are you looking for your victory and what do you how does your first round specifically i think yasarl this episode we've talked a lot more about their broad stroke strategy and we haven't talked enough about their round round one yeah so what are you doing round one i think the answer is pretty simple but expand yeah expand (laughs) as much as possible yeah Uh, yeah i I would say like strategy card wise it's warfare it's uh it's politics if you want to get ahead on the action card game uh, but you're gonna you can get a lot out of um, warfare right um, the fact that you can do so much early game expansion is just it just sets you up so great for anything else later mm-hmm. so where are you looking for your victory specifically end game victory I think Isarl, especially after everything we've talked about what I can say to you and I think what has kind of made this episode sound a little bit wishy-washy yeah is that with Isarl, more so than any other race I can think of, you just really need to keep your eyes open. Mm-hmm. Really, really keep them yeah. open. And Action look, cards and objective cards. Yep. Yeah. Action cards, objectives. Look for synergies between lots of like disparate uh, like parts of the game. I haven't brought this up. This is a specific thing, but I think this is helpful. If you do get hypermetabolism early, if, if, you, if you're looking for places to specifically be spending command counters Mm -hmm. i don't think it's a bad idea to like be consistently doing the secondary of imperial to keep getting secret objectives because there are going to be probably plenty of secret objectives that are a cakewalk for you 
depending on the timing and what action cards in, you have in your hand. So if you get one that's kind of like a medium or harder one, mm-hmm. just keep keep trying to get new ones. Take take Imperial so that you can get some new secret objectives because I think those secret objectives are part of your friend too because that that unknown factor of the sorrel is the most dangerous thing i agree and i think if you i think if you combed through the action card deck and looked at the secret objectives you would find action cards that were like whoa this action card would really help you accomplish that like very very handily uh so yeah actually i think that's a really good piece of advice the idea of drawing lots of secret objectives for Isarl. also it just kind of makes sense yes yeah, just cycle through that hand get the easiest ones that are get, possible get the one like yeah if, if you feel like one like oh man can't get this right now just get rid of it just yep. get another one yep yep so a weird look at this weird race um mm-hmm. they're i just think they're really solid um the biggest thing um that i think is left unsaid is in TI3, this is kind of a thing, too. TI3, new players would look at the SRL and would hear other people saying, they're de facto the best race in the game. Mm-hmm. And new players would go, I don't under Like, why is that so amazing? And so that's the... I think that's still a little bit of the struggle with the SRL is Twilight Imperium is a game all about taking opportunities as they come. Mm-hmm. Because all of these things where it's like, do X and then Y and then Z, as long as... A, B, C happens. Right. Like, those are hard strategies to follow. So, more than anything, flexibility is your friend in Twilight Imperium. Just mm-hmm. the ability to roll with the punches. And the Asarl tribes are one of the most flexible races. And that is what you are trying to do with them, is remain flexible. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I could really see that would be upsetting as Asarl is to draw that the, to get those first couple action cards in your hand and they don't guide you to do anything yeah that is essentially what do you the do weakness. then yeah it, yeah then you just go down pretty much any path yeah roll the just, dice and hope you hope you find some good avenues but just keep don't if you start out early and nothing's pushing you in a particular direction mm-hmm I say keep your start a little bit slow until something does. Because something will come up. Right. Something absolutely will come up. So if you don't get anything in the first two rounds that's really guiding you anywhere, just look at the objectives that are kind of easy to do. Or find a way to just be trade partners with people and start stockpiling some money, whatever. All these things that are just kind of like keep your position strong until you get the cards that help guide you. Mm-hmm. And uh, don't underestimate the idea of, uh, I mean... In this scenario, all of a sudden, it's occurring to, to me that as Isarl, and this is something that uh, the person who played them today did really fail to do, um, activate your strategy cards at a time that is not helpful to the Anybody rest of the else. board. Yeah. You you more so than any race yeah. have that ability. Yeah. You can wait for a lot of timings because of the action cards at your disposal. So yeah, I mean, the specific instance Hunter's kind of referring to today is RSR player activated tech when it was basically going to help give Hunter the game, yeah. and it was avoidable for him, and he still could have done surprising things after the fact, but he, he let... You can't let other players take big strength swings, because if you let other players get too powerful you're really going to fall behind quickly. Mm-hmm. Powerhouses are, if anything, that's that's your counter, are really races that have snowballed out of control because mm-hmm. you will no longer have ways to deal with them. Mm-hmm. You, you don't have, you're not going to have a huge, giant, scary fleet that just steamrolls through people. You're going to have action cards that lets you do crazy things. So these races that do have big, scary fleets, you need to 
figure out how to worry about them earlier on. Right. And that, I mean, and I think what we're talking about now is this is this is the worst case scenario. Yes, this absolutely. Is the, if you're yeah. getting only bad action cards at the beginning, well, then I think the counterbalance to that is uh, uh, you are not flipping warfare yeah. until no one can buy anything anyways right. out of their space. That action. might be why you stall. If you have these kind of bad action cards, it might be beneficial to you to just stall everything out so no one can use you, your stuff. You're not getting tech until no one can buy tech right you see you hear what i'm saying yeah. you hear what i'm saying so that's where i think we can wrap it up with your sorrow um there's probably going to be a lot of things unsaid there i feel like there's a lot of like kind of specific scenarios we didn't touch on but mm-hmm. you know that's par for the course with the sorrow there's too right. much to talk about so i'm looking actually i'm looking forward to some fun errata with these guys yeah we... i think this is a good one where you can submit to us crazy things you've done or crazy ideas you have with what can be done with your sorrow because that's Isarlor is a very creative race, so if we're looking for players who don't fully understand what it is we're supposed to be doing, it's helpful to give them just a bunch of ideas. Right. Please throw uh, some... Please throw... This is the probably the one time we'll say this, but please throw some really crazy specific examples yeah. at us. Yeah. yeah, Please do it, because essentially... I mean, with a lot of talking about this race, like, that is that is a big part of it. Yeah. So, let's, uh, let's jump into the errata for our extra episode. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the community outreach program known as Space Cats Peace Turtles. I know many of you are required to be here by the state. The state, of course, being the states that you all live in. And if you don't live in the United States, you could still refer to your country as a state. Welcome to Space Cats Peace Turtles Errata. Hello! Uh, Last week, we talked about the X-Cha Kingdom, and there was a a decent amount of good good things brought up in the community and we want to back disagreement um hate mail uh (laughs) threats um we want to talk about some of the really interesting points that you guys brought up uh in response to our strategy guide for the extra kingdom so let's just kick it right off yeah i want to do the first one this one is from blizzard main from the reddit twilight imperium um during the two games that i played with extra present a lot of effort was spent by the extra player to build up a network of defenses that functioned as a very strong deterrent. However, because it was so strong, it was never really utilized. So while they were never really messed with, they spent a lot of resources on something that didn't exactly work towards victory points. So I will echo the sentiment you brought up towards the end of the show about leaving a false opening in your defenses. If you can draw fleets into your traps, then you're actually making progress towards victory. I, I I like that because um, he said nice things and he <laughs> liked what we had to say and he agreed with it. No, but more importantly, <laughs> it drives home um, the point of th- this goes kind of with any race that has a powerful ability that mm-hmm. can then at some point get ignored. Um, in this episode, we talked about the Mentak player in our game that kind of turned into like, well, actually, he didn't get to do that much pirating because like a not a whole lot of trade happened any ability that deters action has its own power but you also need to work around that fact and so it's a very very yeah it's a very good point to reinforce of just the fact that like don't make your pie slice so untouchable that you then don't interact with any other players right and i think it goes against one of our pillars of space cats peace turtles being that you're to play well is to play efficiently. So if you are over, um, uh, what's a good word? Over defensive. Over defensive or just like you're over investing Mm -hmm. in your defenses, you're actually wasting resources because if no one is going to attack you anyways, then why are you being so defensive essentially? 
I think this feeds into um, another point that that was brought up by numerous people, but the first one that that we read it from was Falcon 1983 from BGG. Uh, they were talking about tech, and we we talked a lot about uh, plasma scoring and getting uh, deep space cannons. But uh, this person and multiple other people also brought up that. Cruiser 2 is only one green tech away from this whole path line. So if you're if we're talking about this strategy of like oh you dug in too deep and what, what like what else are you doing? You are not that far from really really good cruisers that can lash out really far away from you and that's kind of your yin yang approach with the X-Chaws. Like not only can you set up these crazy defensive positions, but Binaural motivator, so you can get some extra action cards, and then get upgraded cruisers, so you can start accomplishing some objectives. And that's like a big, big thing. You know, you've got these carry or these cruisers that are going to carry one ground force, and you're going to maybe be able to invade some planets if you just have this like special fleet of cruisers. Um, it's 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 a really good. You start with two cruisers, so it's like you've already got them. This is something Val- Falcon specifically brought up. You do start with two cruisers after all, so upgrading them would be pretty nice. Mm-hmm. I, I will say, though, be, be careful with this line of thinking because I think the reason in our episode that we emphasized getting Deep Space Cannon and getting the flagship is that it's just like a core tenet of the race in general. So, I mean, if you're going to go for Cruiser 2 before you get everything set up, yeah. keep your eye on the board. Make sure that, that you can afford to do this. Right. Keep in mind that, I mean, what I mean, you only start with one yellow, so you are getting, you are grabbing Plasma Scoring and Neural Motivator and then building Cruiser 2. Right. Potentially, if you didn't grab Tech, this is, we're talking about three rounds right. of research, yeah. which by then, into that fourth round, you might be sad that you didn't have right. PDS too. Falcon's point was that uh, they don't think you're very likely to fire as many PDS shots during the first two rounds. Um, and I agree. We think it's conditional. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. think that's definitely going to be true in some games, but don't kind of blindly jump into Cruiser 2s, look at the board state first, make sure you can definitely afford to. And don't underestimate how long it might take you to get a PDS network set up. Yes. Always remember that it PDS are that, not something you can build very quickly. Right. You should be building the PDS from the get-go. Whether or not yes. they, whether or not you get Deep Space Cannon quickly is another debate, but you do need to be starting work on the PDS network ASAP. Yeah. Cool. So uh, we've got another one from Orion Eve. Um, I originally thought it was Orion Steve, but this is Orion Eve. (laughs) Orion Steve is another um, user. This is from Reddit Twilight Imperium. Um, The only blue tech Xcha could definitely use is Gravity Drive. If you can skip a blue tech, it is definitely worth picking up. So you can efficiently relocate your flagship to reinforce a border that needs some more space cannon support. I like this point. I do too. I love that he makes the stipulation. Here she makes the stipulation of... If you can skip the blue tech. The point here isn't that, like, oh, you should only get it if you can skip it. But you should never, like, rush for gravity drive. Mm -hmm. But if you find some openings to get it, that's definitely, like, your next priority, right? Right. Get get your PDSs. Get your deep space cannon. Get your cruiser upgrades. Then, if you're, like, having a really crazy good game with tech, go for that gravity drive. Because that's going to help you out a lot as well. I think the what I like most about this uh, submission is that this person really gets it. 
Um, the idea of moving your flagship mm-hmm. around to be more threatening on certain yes. sides of your pie slice, it's like, yes, yes, yes. That yeah. sounds so extra to me. That's the power of the flagship, too, is everyone else's PDSs just sit there, and you can then start to play around it. Mm-hmm. But the fact that as the extra, you have this mobile triple PDS, right. your players will never be able to fully play around that because it's not going to sit in one spot all game. You can do anything you want with it. So, yeah, I 100% agree. Gravity mm-hmm. Drive, do it if you've got the room to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this next one is a point that was brought up, uh, another one that was brought up by multiple people. Uh, Unaligned Magi from Board Game Geek was the first one to specifically point out that instinct training can cancel a sabotage. A lot of people tried to tell us, you know, instinct training is, is better than we sold it for. And we realized that we probably undersold instinct training compared to even what we think it is. We do think it's a good tech. We just think it's kind of this like, well, it's not the most important thing for you to like rush for it's kind of this like if it's something you can get later on definitely go for it but there's definitely some potential there in the fact that it it's the only thing that can cancel a sabotage card which is going to have some huge power i didn't and i don't think either of us really thought about that no, before yeah it's a very specific point that i don't kind of slipped a little bit there um but i would say that the thing about instinct training i think that kind of like turns both of us off a little bit is it's the kind of thing that totally imagine you getting and then never ever using even one time um hunter brought this up when we talked about it kind of off air but if a yasarl is in your game oh yeah get instinct training oh my gosh come on like because that's that's gonna be their strength against you and you need to you need to lean on what you've got so yeah if there's a yasarl in your game or anyone else who's gonna like in some way if someone's just going for action cards more than anybody else yeah get instinct training but but the, the other point to this conversation mm-hmm. was brought up by Grutar, and this is our favorite kind of point to make in any yeah. discussion, but it's not just that, oh, an instinct training can be a sabotage and can cancel sabotage, but you can sell this ability. You do not have to use this ability on cards played against you, so if you have this ability, at the very least, when someone gets, you know something crazy played against them you're always there and you can say hey if it's worth a bunch of money and a promissory note to you i can deal with this problem right, yeah work that ability yeah, yeah. always in favor of people milking milking yes, abilities milk so it all for everything so we have another one from nissa fica from bgg um Basically, the point was made that the extra ability Peace Accords is actually quite weak. You're only going to use it very early game, and it's only available on empty planets. And in this player's opinion, and I think a lot of people could agree with this, that Jolnar is a better turtle race in some ways. We had a game uh, that we talked about this episode where the Jolnar player built up his PDNS network great instantly. And really fast, and and they were upgraded. They were great. And the, the, the important point to all of this is, like, we don't disagree... But you should also just think of these strategy guides less as a comparison and more as a, no, this is the dealt, this is the hand you were dealt, so here's right. what to do with it. So in no way are we saying that, you know, X-Cha are the just absolute de facto best at whatever. I mean, I do think they're probably the best with PDS just because of that flagship. But in general, we're going to probably in the future stray away a lot from these kind of direct comparisons to other races because what we're talking about here is you're playing extra what do you do with that right and for every strategy guy that we're going to do we're very much trying to be on the side of the player who's playing that race um so yeah there's there's definitely some comparative thinking i mean we're going to talk about counters but every with every race but the thing is it's more about are you playing that race and what should you have in your head? Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, points like this we're not necessarily going to outright disagree with. I mean, what what this really is to say and what you should be excited about to hear to say is that when we do the Yin Brotherhood episode, <laughs> we are going to be doing it from the perspective of someone yeah. who likes to play as the Yin exactly. Brotherhood and thinks that they've made the right choice in their life that day. That's going to be a tough one. Um, <laughs> all right. Austrian Oak from Board Game Geek um, brought up the point of saying... They played a game where they didn't really upgrade their PDS and they didn't focus on building their flagship and it didn't work out very well for them. They they were too concerned about trying to get speed and, and getting fast carriers and all this stuff. And I think this is a great point of showing like there are races in Twilight Imperium that are better at different things and you have to use the abilities given to you to take the advantages that are at your disposal and you cannot play this is something i'm even dealing with right now we talked about this a little bit but like with the winu i am dealing with i have a play style and i have to learn to play the races that don't fit into that play style these slower turtley races are not always in the realm of what i'm good at and you have to put those things aside it's not like ti3 where ti3 you could invest heavily in blue tech with any race and it's gonna do you good because mobility was a big big deal in TI3. TI4, play to the strengths because every race is in some way designed to be kind of a superpower and you need to become a superpower. Get super ahead in what it is that you're good at and then start focusing on like plugging holes, basically. Yeah. Finding like, okay, well, I'm really bad at this. How are we going to get past that? That kind of stuff. Yeah, but the the emphasis is, and, and a big emphasis for us in these episodes is what are you doing first? Yeah. And what you should be doing first is building your strengths to an unreasonable degree mm -hmm. so with that we will uh we'll, we'll we'll put a close on this episode uh it was a it was a it was a good look at extra a good look at Isarl, and uh we just want to ask you again as always to follow us on all the places that you can follow us you've got facebook space cats peace turtles you've got twitter at space cats pod you can always email us space cats peace turtles at gmail.com uh, we also post every single week on the Twilight Imperium subreddit, and we have a Board Game Geek guild that you can join and join our posts on. And I wanted to make sure I threw out a special shout-out this week to the people who kind of helped us get that Board Game Geek guild started. We, we, don't, we didn't know a lot going into it about how just all the inner workings of Board Game Geek worked, and two people in particular that helped us out a lot in that process were Robofish, and Chromium Age Collector, and uh, just kind of as a kind of big thank you to Chromium Age Collector, we wanted to plug, he's got a, a podcast that deals with the Punisher comic book series. Uh, there's the new Netflix series out, and so any of you that are watching that are, and are getting on your big Punisher kicks right now, please go check out Punisher Body Count. It's the Punisher Body Count podcast by Chromium Age Collector to get some, you know, if, if you're a fan of really specific podcasts about really <laughs> specific things like a podcast about Twilight Imperium. Which you might be. There's something that tells us that the, you might There's be. something that tells us that. Uh, you might also like a specific deep dive into all things The Punisher. Mm -hmm. And feel free to ask a Chromium Age Collector what an Age Collector is. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and the only other thing is we're going to kind of start talking about our holiday episode that's going to be coming up. Uh, I'm really excited. We're really, it. really excited for our holiday episode, mainly because basically we're going back to our hometown for the holidays, and a lot of our old friends are going back to our hometown, and we are planning to have a 
field day with Twilight Imperium. We're dedicating an entire day. Our goal is to play potentially four separate games Mm -hmm. of Twilight Imperium. Maybe not individually, but we might have four separate games going on at different points throughout the day. Um, But the episode that comes immediately after that, we're playing on the 26th. Um, The episode that comes after that, we're going to be in the middle of family time and holiday time. And we just wanted to start letting you know right now. That episode is going to be a little bit rocky. Yes. Um, In no way can I guarantee that that episode will come out on Twilight Imperium Tuesday. In fact, I can basically guarantee you it will not come out on a Tuesday. The game we're playing is on a Tuesday, and I just don't think we're going to be able to put that episode out quickly enough. And more importantly, I will not be dedicating a lot of time to editing it. So our goal is probably to just record something pretty raw and throw it out to you. It will most likely be a conversation we have with a lot of our players about the games we played, about their first looks at TI, and just kind of a, a fun holiday conversation yeah. about TI. This will be our our fan podcast for the month. Uh, we've been doing a lot of strategy talk, and we're ready to just tell stories and, and get into to specific games and stuff like that. So basically, maybe give us a little bit of a break with that episode, because it's going to come out late, and it's going to be um, lesser audio quality yeah than what you're, you've probably been getting. It's going to be rough around the edges, but it's going to be fun. Yes. And it's going to be exciting. Yes. We're, we're super looking forward to it. Also, for all we know, it could be like a four-hour-long episode. I literally have no idea what to expect. We're, we're going to just go into it and do whatever we want and come out on the other side with whatever we have. Mm-hmm. And the last note is, this is kind of a weird sidebar, but... Um, we are looking to get some more projects off the ground, but we don't want to do anything. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves. So we're, we're doing some tests over the holidays as well. And one of those podcasts involve us coming up with ideas for board games, but not good board games. Yeah. We So what we want is a bunch of user submissions of bad ideas for board games and these can be as vague as you want them to be uh if you want to just sell us the idea of a board game that takes place in the lion king universe that's the kind of idea we're looking for generic nothing ideas we don't want to steal your brilliant idea for a board game we want you to just throw a bad idea at yeah, us give us lazy ideas give us bad ideas yeah we want you to have no idea what you're even trying it should be hard for us to even translate what you're talking about mm-hmm. um and yeah so that, that if if anything too that also gives you a teaser of some of the other projects hunter and i have in mind but please 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 send us as many bad ideas for board games as you possibly can muster uh we'll take them on our twitter our facebook our email anywhere you can get it to us we we want to hear them and send us as many submissions as you possibly can And that's where we'll cut it off. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll catch you guys next week. Thank you for listening to Space Cats Peace Turtles. And thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica Bellum Gloriosum.